Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. You know, we're celebrating since March the 9th of 2009 when the bear market hit its low. You know, it closed at 677. That seems so long ago, but it's only Eight years ago. And since then, we got the first from, from 2007. You look at it, I mean, excuse me, from that 677 low in 2009, it gained through 3911. So you just go four or five years there, it gained up to 102%. The total return, of course, it, you know, all the dividends were invested, all that's important for you to know. But here are what we're thinking about. In the years following that, from three through eight, it gained another, that's the six years, it gained another 107%. So believe it or not, we're talking about it. We're up over 200% since that fabulous day, exciting day, unbelievable day of March the 9th, 2009. In fact, Here's a thought for you. Here's, here's what I read this, and this is kind of John Arthurs, which is a journalist from the Financial Times. Now, this is a guy, a respected journalist. I mean, somebody a lot of people read. And here's what he had to say at that moment in time in March the 9th, 2009, when the bear market low of 677. Here's what he said. Perhaps, this is he wrote this, perhaps the greatest reason for hope for the U.S. stock market, that's what he's talking about. He says, at present, is that almost all hope seems to have been lost. That's John McCar- That's John Arthur's. Now, you know, I know that's hard for somebody to realize that just eight years ago, this week, we were celebrating, uh, you know, and I hate to say it, it was a, a capitulation is what we're talking about, and everybody thought, well, oh my goodness, it's over, it's done. And since then, in eight short years, the S&P 500 is up over 200%. Household net worth is up over $90 trillion. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's a whole process that you have to put in your head as you think about how you invest and how you go through this process, that you have to understand that we balance the market. We look at things. We balance what we try to do. We don't run from fear. All of those things happen, and yet it is a part of a process that you have to maintain. You have to stay around. You have to stay with it. You can't run from it. In fact, if you look at it, the, the, the bear market that ended on March the 9th of 2009 was a 17-month bear market in which the stock market fell 57%. And, of course, that's a big issue for a lot of people. The, you know, the, the thought is that, you know, will it go back? And that's what John Arthurs were saying is this whole concept of, oh, my goodness, it's this and it's that and I got to do this and we get so emotional sometimes, and what today's program is all about, we've got an issue of how do you find and locate, and how do you 
process getting someone to give you advice. If that emotional side of you is all uptight and you're wondering what to do, you're trying to think about it, well, we're going to talk with two people coming up in a few minutes. What does it take to be a financial advisor? And then we have someone in the second half of the program, Jonathan McAllister, is going to join us, and we're going to talk about how do you select a financial advisor. I get tons of questions about how to go through this process. Who should be a financial advisor? Well, we're going to find out how do you find out how to be a financial advisor? Chris Abair and Beth Hysaw is going to be with us when we come back because we want to find out, really, should I be a financial advisor? I have parents all the time asking me, hey, I got my kids here. They want to find a career that they really can enjoy. Should they be in the financial planning business? Well, that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Jim Shoemaker, Jonathan McAllister, and Chris Abair are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Beth Hysall is the recruiting specialist at Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, Talk Money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. We appreciate Mac Bailey and the law firm. You know, when I said earlier, we were talking about uh, just eight years ago, the market plummeted, capitulation occurred. We went to literally uh, a low of 677, and people just talked about it was a disaster. I read something from the, uh, the writer earlier about there was no hope left and this whole despair. And so what you find is that's what people go through when the market is doing what we don't like for the market to do. We like it when it goes up. We're all optimistic. But when the market does turn, and it will turn, it always does, it's going to do what it's supposed to do, that is move up and down. What happens is you find out that you need some help. You'd like to get some help. You'd like to get another person's opinion. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you find that other opinion, and how do you know that you're getting the right person to help you? Well, Jonathan McAllister is going to do that in the second half of the program. We're going to dive into specifics about how to select a financial advisor. But before we do that, I get so many questions from parents and other people all the time because you listen to the program, you you come back and say, well, you know, I kind of like the idea of what you're talking about, advising and helping people. I am an investor, and so therefore I want to be a financial advisor. Well, I thought it was appropriate because of a couple of questions we've got recently to have our recruiting specialist and one of our managing directors in the firm to really help us discern 
what does it mean to be in the career as a financial advisor? So let me welcome to the program Beth Heisall and Chris Abear. Thank you guys for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Jim. Thank you, Jim. All right. Let me let me say this, because, guys, I appreciate the fact that, that you are talking to people all the time about this career. And you get a ton of questions. And I know financial advisors last year in the U.S. News and World Report that you know came out in January the first of this year actually said for last year the number one the number three best business careers was the career of financial advising. Now, I guess the financial service industry is an old industry. It comes from multifaceted. You know, when you think about it, it's kind of pushing a lot of a lot of different careers into one. Uh, I get the question all the time: Should I should I come from this career? If, I, if I'm an accountant, you know, does that make me more suitable, Chris, to do that? Or if I'm from the legal background, or from the insurance background, or from in, you know, I was a stockbroker. But that's really not the case. Talk to me a little bit about when you're talking to people. Let me help me understand what does it mean to be in, in this career as a financial advisor. Yeah. Uh, so, Jim, when you say that, there's obviously an intellectual property that you have to own in order to get in this business. Uh, but beyond that, there's two things to understand, one of which is we're in a people business. So you have to like people and like interacting with people. Uh, in addition to that, we're, we are a sales career. Uh, that doesn't mean sales in its traditional sense. It means uh, obviously there's transactions taking place, but only when value is served. So at the end of the day, although transactions are taking place, we're here to earn someone's trust and to ultimately guide them through financial decisions. You know, when you talk about earning trust and you know, I, there's this mindset, and I have to say this, that if, if I said sales and trust, they don't seem to go together. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem that I think a lot of people are fearful of if you're saying, well, this is a sales career. See, I'd almost tell you that I don't know if I'd agree totally that it's a sales career. I understand where you're coming from. But it's almost like you've got to be a person, and Beth, you talk to a lot of people like this, you've got to be a person who can, as you said, Chris, earn trust, but you're almost a counselor. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about that, Beth, from a standpoint of, you know, you ask people about that people relationship. Absolutely. Um, You'll be educating and coaching clients through this process, and it's a very integral process with complex pieces of information. So you need to have those, you know, really good communication skills. And it's also about building relationships with people. I appreciate the relationship side of that, too. That is, that's the trust side, Chris, that you're talking about. What other skills, uh, Beth? Um, in addition to building relationships, and we know this is a people people business, um, integrity and trust, trustworthiness comes to mind. People only do business with people, really, that they know, like, and trust. Um, confidence is, is very important, and also perseverance. Perseverance. You've got to be willing to... Weather yeah. the 2008s, that's yeah. persevering. That's a tough time for us. Yeah. You're talking to a lot of people, they're concerned, but you've got to show them that, that you've pretty much uh, are staying very much aware of their needs and they're helping them through some trying times. So it's not just, again, back to that idea of sales and trust. Mm-hmm. Sales, I, I really understand, but you've got a word, I think, that I, I like the word. I really do. <laughs> you know, L- Livy's going to love you for yeah, this. Yeah, uh, I know. This but, is a but word I, that... <laughs> think, I think this is the word that really is critical because it really talks about the desire and the, of the goodwill for other people. In other words, if the advisor is all focused on himself, mm-hmm. he is not going to be a great advisor. 
And you have a great word. You're right. It's benevolence and it's desire to do goodwill for others. And that's that's really important. And it's not that we're looking for the individual that sells ice to an Eskimo. That is not the sales career that we're talking about. Again, back to the point that we were making, this is a, a counselor's career. This is a one that wants to empower others and educate them. And once they have clarity about why they would make the decision, they then make those decisions and we help them with that. But yes, absolutely. I appreciate you saying that because I told Libby I'd say that today. She, she It makes me think, it makes her think that I'm way smarter than I actually am. <laughs> well, I get it though but see i do think that if we if we bring people in that understand that part that part of the goodwill of others that's a long-term career now i've been in the career for a long time i have seen guys don't go there i have seen guys come into the business without that word benevolence it is more about them it is more about what thought process what product today our side at Shoemaker Financial, we are very dedicated from a fee-based man st- man- mandate to think through and literally do what is the best for the client. And uh, literally, it's a fiduciary and work through that. And I felt, Beth, you really deal with this a lot with people. Absolutely. One of the main attractions to um, a financial advisor is the fact that you have the opportunity to really make an impact in people's lives. You know, money is tied to everything you do. So you're either helping someone solve a problem or you're helping them achieve a financial goal. That's a great point. Solve a problem. And, and I, I, when you talk about that, again, guys, we used the term consultant earlier, yeah. counselor. Um, Chris, I know in your practice, I'm sure you would say that there's been multiple times where you have talked to couples and you are all of a sudden finding yourself counseling because not all the time. I mean, I can think of tons where I've got a husband thinking one thing about money and a spouse, wife thinking another thing about money, and or the the wife is you know she's controlling, she's very much aware, she's the best of the of the two, mm-hmm. and yet he's over there asleep, you know, he doesn't get it. I mean, it can go either way, you know, and you've got to be a good counselor. Well, you know, they say opposites attract, uh, but you're absolutely right when you think about that. Uh, we're we're paid to be unemotional about people's money, and the, f- the fact is people are emotional when it comes to money. That's why money doesn't equal math. Uh, Microsoft would have owned this industry a long time ago if it was simply a formula that you would apply to your life in order to achieve your financial goals. It's the behaviors behind that, uh, and the behaviors are driven by the impact of the emotions that you have, wanting to send your kids to college for various reasons. Either your parents sent you to college and you, you, you're uh, wanting to pay it forward, or maybe you paid your way through college and you don't want your kids to to have that burden on them as they graduate. Uh, so everyone's different, uh, but you're right. Everyone's going to be, uh, you have a, a wife that's that's the, the one that wants to save, and then you have the spender who is sometimes the husband, uh, and then they obviously are buying the big ticket item like the boat and things like that. That's a good point, and we're having to service counselors. If you just tuned in, my guest, Chris Hebert, Beth Heisoff, Shoemaker Financial. We're talking about the career as a financial advisor. I started the program. We're looking back eight years ago this past Thursday was literally the time when, uh, you know, the market capitulated down to 677. And, you know, the thought process, what would you have done had you had a trusted advisor that walked you through the process? Would you have, you know, stayed the course or would you have jumped ship? What would those things happen as you go back and think about it? When, you know, you think of this guy, John Arthur says, perhaps the greatest reason for hope, that's talking about the U.S. stock market at present, is that almost all hope seems to have been lost. Now, that's a strong statement for someone to say, who is a financial writer. I mean, this is a guy that's thinking about that. 
Would you have had someone that you could have sat down and talked to? Well, if you're interested in a career, Beth Iso at Shoemaker Financial, she's in charge of selecting people through that process. And Chris works in the, is a managing director of the firm. And so they're walking through that whole idea of a personal financial advisor. If you're interested in a career, give Beth a call, 757-5757. Now, Beth, let me ask you this, because I know a lot of people think a career as a personal advisor, what does it look like? What is a what is it? We talked about some of the skill sets a few minutes ago. Someone driven with relationships, a people person, got to have some intellect, understand numbers, have the ability to strategically think through things. But there's some real thoughts about the career. Right. Um, number one, essentially, you're your own boss. Um, you have the freedom to build your own practice and have that independence that a lot of people are looking for. Um, in addition, like I said, it's, you're making an impact in people's lives. So you're helping people solve a problem or achieve a goal. And then thirdly, what attracts people to this career is it's very lucrative. Really, you can make unlimited um, income, opportunity. So, so, so you work hard and you, you can be rewarded. Absolutely. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, also, you talk a little bit about mastery because I, I always think that's so critical. I know that was important for me in this career is that I knew, I mean, I didn't know it at first, but as I got more into it, I knew that I never really was going to get it all down. I've never stopped learning. It seems like every day there's something. Yesterday, I spent the entire day working on a project with someone that I really didn't know anything about. And I've been doing this a long time, but it was something that I had to learn, and I enjoy the challenge, you know, and, and the fact that I'm still learning at this career uh, as long as I've been in it. So, Chris, talk yeah. about that. What's remarkable is as you talk about you know, how the downturn in the economy when we hit bottom back in 2009 is here we are. We're, we're enjoying a, a great bull market run, and yet people are still emotional. So, again, the human element uh, makes this career very intriguing that you're never going to have a boring day uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One, because of emotions uh, behind the financial decisions people are making. But two, because the evolution of the industry as we can, uh, continue to adapt and evolve uh, with new products and with changes with the laws and things like that, that always is going to create new opportunities to learn. So it is a career of learning. Uh, You're correct. If you think about what you're saying, this bull market that this economic expansion that we're talking about happens to be in its 93rd month as we talk. And you think about that, it's the third longest expansion in history. (laughs) And we almost fall into a comfort zone that says, hey, this will go on forever. And if you compare it to the 90s, People thought it might, you know, I, I've said tons of times that my 11-year-old grandson could have been an investment advisor in the <laughs> 90s, you know, at that point. But the reality is, or the 60s, another long period of time, this is the third largest, longest uh, expansion we've had in, in our in our history since we've been keeping records, and that goes all the way back to the 1800s. But I guess the thought process, when everything's going good, it's easy to to feel good about what you're doing in your investment world or your plan, yeah. my retirement of thought. But but that's when people need to begin to pull in that advisor down. Stay with us because we're going to be talking in a few minutes with Jonathan McAllister of how do you go through the process of selecting an advisor. And that's important. How do you, you know, now that we've got Beth and, and Chris have said, okay, here's what the career looks like. You got to make a decision on how to, you know, how do you... Find one. How do you know what you're looking for? Now, Beth, before we take a break, I want to ask you one question, one last question. This career is tough, okay? But 
if they understand that it's a financial planning career, retention in this career as a financial planner is pretty high. Our our, uh, organization, our network is Security and Financial, and their retention nationwide is what I consider way above average in the industry. What do you give me that number right quick? Right. Um here at Shoemaker, we have a significantly higher retention than the, than the industry average at 60%. Um and we attribute our high retention rate because we believe in a mutual selection process and we spend an extensive amount of time with our prospective candidates. You know, I'm going to give you an honest view of both the time and resources um, that it takes to make it in this business. And we invest a lot of time and resources into our advisors with our in-depth training program. So when you talk about training, you talk about working through that. Chris, you do coaching. You spend an enormous amount of time. You don't, we don't, and we used to say this, and this is terrible to think, we don't hire people, throw them against the wall, and yeah. see who sticks. Yeah. There is a career development in this. It is a long four-year process. We We actually call it, you start out, and we actually move them into what you call a residency program. That's correct. And, Jim, we, we make it very clear. We work for them. You know, they're aligning with us. It's our responsibility uh, to, to help them uh, achieve whatever it is, financial success is in their world as well. Uh, they have uh, visions uh, of providing for their families and having a, a career of impact uh, within the community as they help others make financial decisions. Uh, so, of course, within the training and the coaching, we're out there helping them build their business as well. So they're not, they're not, they're in business for themselves, but not by themselves. Oh, that's a great point. Well, if you just tuned in, Chris A. Bear, Beth Hysaw, we've been talking about the career as a financial advisor, what to look for. We've said things like, well, you need to be a people person. You need to have perseverance. Those are great characteristics. I would think of any career that's worth its salt, you'd want to have the ability to do that. But also, the big key word that I liked was benevolence, a desire to do goodwill for others. And that is what makes a successful financial advisor. Stay with us because when we come back, we're going to find out how do you go about choosing an advisor. And I mean, you know, the whole idea is the client has the questions to ask. We're going to give you kind of an insider view of what those questions we think you should be asking. Stay with us. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. I'm Jim Shoemaker. I was driving. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, as we were talking earlier, I mentioned to you that we're celebrating, I guess you might say celebrating. I mean, it's eight years ago. The market capitulated down to 677. It's March the 9th, and that was the, I mean, literally, that was the time when, you know, everybody said, you know, it's over. I mean, this is it. It's terrible. And, uh. And yet the market has since then been in a 93-month bull run. Now, we've had some hiccups. Sure, 2015 was definitely a hiccup. But the reality is 
Uh, I mean, we're in the third longest expansion that we've had since we've been taking and keeping records, and that goes all the way back to 1854. So, uh, I mean, it's hard to think about it. You, If you can go back and to you know look at your January, February, March of 08 or 09 at that point and think, okay, I, uh, I'm invested or I'm trying to work a plan, I'm trying to retire, and, and you're just you're, you're frustrated, you know? I mean, at this point, you're looking at 50, if you were in 100% in the S&P 500, literally the S&P 500 was down 57%. So think about that. You're going through this terrible emotional drain, and uh, you don't know what to do. And you think, well, I should have or could have or should at least talk to a financial advisor. And literally during that period of time, a lot of people begin to seek the financial advice of someone experienced in the business. Um, and having experienced this before, and that's what's so important. So my guest in the second half of the program, Jonathan McAllister, how to choose an advisor, answers that you want to ask if you're a client or you're looking for an advisor. Welcome to the program, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Jim. You know, Jonathan, this is a this is important because I think, uh, I think so many times people are struggling with how do you find that. I mean, Chris, you mentioned this earlier that, uh, you know, you think of a sales and trust, and, and it's hard for that to – I really struggle with that. Uh, not that I think sales is bad. I don't know. Please don't understand me, but uh, misunderstand me. But the reality is I think if I say sales, it's like, okay, I got an advisor trying to sell me something. And in reality, you the word benevolent really is so critical. I mean, I'm working that word. You know, I mean, it's a great <laughs> word. <laughs> but it but it does really say kind of it's to do the best thing for the client. And I just feel like that so many times people want somebody to help them, but they're afraid yeah. they're going to be sold something. Well, they don't know who to trust either. I mean, we live in the world uh, the world of information these days. You can Google anything. Uh, you can see see things on TV and hear things, and you just don't know who's who's right uh, and who to trust. So that, that's a hard thing. And so when you say sales, immediately someone's mind goes to a picture of someone who's trying to, again, manipulate them in a way or, or sell them something they may not need. And I think that's why it's important that we position ourselves as counselors, as educators, uh, and only through that uh, do transactions take place. Well, again, using the word benevolent. I, I still think we're going to have a word count on that. today. We're going to have a word count on that today. The <laughs> desire the to do goodwill for the others. And I, again, that is what we do. So, Jonathan, if we can imagine for a second, uh, we're looking out and saying, OK, I've got to find a financial advisor. I want to find out what you would on your side of the table as one. OK, mm-hmm. what would you say to me as the client, as the person looking to look for? You know, I actually had this exact conversation with a uh, prospective client yesterday, and she said, I've never met with an advisor. I don't even know what to ask you right now. I yeah. said, that's that's actually really fair. You know, if someone has never worked with an advisor before, it's uncharted waters for them. So knowing the questions to ask going in is really, really important. I think one thing to always ask an advisor is about their experience and about their licenses, because if you see on their business card, financial advisor, there's not much regulating someone having that title. That's true. And that's kind of shocking to people. You can um, have a myriad of licenses out there and everyone call themselves a financial advisor. But really what you want to look for is mostly someone having a Series 7, a Series 66, um, and usually having some experience behind them as well. Okay, let's, let's mention that because you said Series 7, Series 66. 
to anybody listening today, right over their head. Right. What does right. Series 7 mean? Series 7 allows someone to essentially have access to mutual funds, ETFs, stocks, bonds, and be able to um, act on a client's behalf and purchase those for them if need be. If that's what they're looking for. Right. So it's a, it's a bigger umbrella right. in the investment world. Okay? Right. It, it's... So it's the biggest one right now. 63? 63 just allows, or the 66. 66, 66 allows them to charge a fee and therefore act as a fiduciary. Okay. All right. Now, life and health insurance, they got to have a life and health insurance license they, if they're going to talk about life. If they're, if they're going to talk about it, they have to have it. Um, some advisors choose not to have that. Some advisors choose to. I know our firm, we have all three of those. So uh, it's just whatever that client is looking for at that time. So first and foremost, ask what is their experience and what certifications or what credentials, what license do they have? Right. And this should be something that should be an open dialogue. It shouldn't be hard to to get the answer to, yeah. right? It's just like, you know, we're having some work done on our house right now. I asked my contractor, I said, are you, in, are you insured and bonded? Yeah. It's pretty run-of-the-mill questions. Um, no advisor is going to be offended if a client asks them that. They they almost halfway expect it because yeah. that means the client is doing their research, they're educated, uh, and they're prepared. You know, I had that to happen a couple of years ago. I was called in as for a for a particular church that had had someone who come in and who come into their to their group of senior citizens and proposed and you said use the term financial advisor, and honestly did not do what he was saying he's doing. And as we begin to try to uncover a little bit about this individual, we discovered that he didn't have the license and, and right. the things that, it, that was important. If you want to find out even before you even go and talk to an advisor, do they have investment licenses? Uh, FINRA, which is the Financial Regulatory Authority, actually has a website called Broker Check. That's right. You can put in the individual's name in their firm and you can actually pull up their work history. You can pull up their licenses when they pass the test, how long they've been in the industry. And you can walk into a meeting with that, and you know everything without even having to ask the questions. Well, when we come back, I want to talk about the brochure rule, because that's important when you're talking it to is. someone. Well, you just tuned in. I'm talking with Jonathan McAllister, and we're talking about how to choose a financial advisor. You know, the advisor, you know, questions that you might ask. Well, the first one we said, what's your experience? What's your license, certifications, credentials? All those things are important. Stay with us, because when we come back, Jonathan's going to show about, talk about fee transparency and regulatory controls and what does the brochure mean. That's important. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. In November 1901, city planner and landscape architect George Kessler was hired to draft plans for a system of scenic streets to connect Overton Park with downtown Memphis. Kessler had already planned hundreds of projects internationally and across the country and was the perfect man to lead the beautification project for the city. Realizing that the current parks were public property and maintained by the taxpayers, Kessler designed with convenience in mind, envisioning a greater volume of road traffic, though there were less than 20 cars in Memphis at the time. 
His foresight proved to be correct, for only nine years later, there were over 1,000 cars on Memphis roads. This system of streets changed the way we think about parks. While the word park normally conjures images of ducks and picnics, the system of north, east, and south parkways remains a verdant trail that is still maintained by the park services and has been added to the National Register of Historic Places. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money, as you know, is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm. Estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. And I want to thank them. They're one of our key players in what we do and the fact that they're able to help you move through a lot of those questions that you have when it comes to setting down and planning for retirement or working through your estate. It's all about elder law. The Mac Bailey Law Firm, Mac Bailey and his team, spends a lot of time with you, answers a lot of questions, and we're proud to have them as one of our sponsors. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And one of those questions that people ask all the time is, how do you choose an advisor? Give us some insight into those questions that we should be asking. As Jonathan said earlier, Jonathan McAllister, one of our advisors, just yesterday he was talking to someone and said, I don't even know the questions to ask. Well, that's what we're finding out. A lot of people ask and want to know, how do you go about vetting a financial advisor. What makes a person different than the next guy down the street? Well, Jonathan's going to walk us through that. We talked about, first of all, experience, license, certifications, credentials, how long have they been in the business, those things. Simple, easy-to-answer questions that everybody should be asked. Now, the second thing, though, I really would like to, to think that I would want to know their investment philosophy or their credentials when we talk about, you know, this is what I'm thinking. We said credentials. But then tell me about their investment philosophy or their planning philosophy. You know what I'm talking about? Right. I think that's that's something we talk about a lot on the show is we're a planning firm. It's not just about product. Look, looking at things in silos and products, right? Yeah. It's about how does everything work together? And I think a lot of times some advisors, and, and there's nothing wrong with this necessarily. It's just a mindset. You have to find what's best for you. But looking at things in silos can be somewhat dangerous, though, because what it does is that if you are just looking at the investment portion of a client's portfolio and you ignore things like estate planning and insurance and business planning, then you could be missing a whole host of subjects that need to be addressed, possibly before you even start talking about investment planning. You know, in investment planning, a lot of times, Chris, when we do talk to people, it, it's kind of the sexy thing. I mean, they kind of <laughs> you know, they want to talk about, hey, well, let's talk about my 401k or let's talk about my, you know, how much money I'm going to make. And, you know, can I can you get me 12 percent return? And, of course, what you're saying is. It's 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 difficult, but that's really what the client needs to understand. If you're going to ask me, I'm going to drill back a little bit, drill down and, and step back a little bit, you might say, and say, but there's a bigger picture. So our philosophy is not just investments, mm-hmm. but really the whole idea of a financial plan. Yeah, no, investments are obviously a, a key piece of the puzzle. Um, and there are definitely different philosophies within investing, whether you're talking passive investing and, and uh, or you're talking actively investing. Uh, and I, I think it's important that we we encompass both of those. And there are, there are seasons or cycles in the market where passive investing is very, uh, very, very good. And there's seasons of uh, the cycles of the market where active investing is really good. I, I heard an analogy one time. It's like rowing and sailing. There are markets when it's good to be 
be rowing, especially when the market's going down 57%. You want to make sure you're actively in, uh, you know, taking into account what stocks to own. And then there's markets when the, the tide rises all ships, and we can just set the sail up and, and maybe take a more passive approach uh, so that we're being very uh, you know, mindful of fees involved mm-hmm. in that investment philosophy. What we really want to be focused on and what clients need to be asking and, and what the advisors need to be saying is articulating at a not a high level, not a, not a detailed level, but very basically, what is their investment philosophy? Mm-hmm. Is their investment philosophy to try and time the market? Is it to buy and hold? Is it to use the best funds and managers out there? What, what is it? Is it a um, committee approach? Is it them picking the funds? Yeah, that's a, and that is, a, so that's a question that you want to hear articulated from the advisor that you're vetting. Right. Is, uh, they tell don't need me to be, exactly how you do it. They don't need to be beating around the bush about that because if, if, <laughs> if I'm handing someone a six-figure amount of money, possibly a seven-figure amount of money to handle, I want to know that, one, they have the research to back it, they're confident in their procedures, and three, that they're managing their money in the same way. You know, I had someone recently that came in and said, okay, Jim, I really like you, and I really, I've known you, and I, I really want to work with you, but uh, what happens if you're not here? Right. And that's a critical question, you know. I mean, they, they thought I was 29, and I told them I was just a little older than 29, so it was a great question. For them. <laughs> you know, that's not that funny. Don't go there. You pull that off well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should I say I anything different? Yeah, all right. <laughs> but, but, guys, that's a question, the succession. I mean, what happens? Is there people behind me helping me if I don't show up one day? Is somebody going to be here to take care right. of the client? And this is becoming more and more of an issue. I mean, we talk about it. Uh, the average age of an advisor now, there's more advisors over, I believe, 60 than there are under 30 now. So there's a massive age disparity. So what that's leading to is that you have you might have an advisor who's 60 or 70 years old who might have a client that's 30 or 40, and the chance of that advisor outliving that client is really, really low. So what does happen when that advisor passes away? What happens with that client's accounts? If there's a big age disparity there, that needs to be addressed. That is no question, except in this particular question, the person asking me that was older than I was. <laughs> but, but here's your, you're exactly right. Now, our, the firm, guys, and you, you're very much part of this. In fact, you guys are very much a part because you are younger than, than the average. We literally, our board literally came to us almost 10 years ago now and said, your age is too high. Now, regardless of what they're going on in the industry, literally, we were at average age of about 44. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was, we were fine with that at that point. But the board thought that's not future. That's not where you need to be. So what we've done is we've driven that age down now to an average age of 39. And we're still trying to get them. So you guys are very much a part of that younger generation to make sure there is sustainability. And the legacy of the firm continues. We have over 15,000 clients. That we can't just say, okay, you know, so the old guys are gone. Who's here to take right. care of you? And yeah. that's important. And I think a lot of that, too, you know, this, I don't know if we discussed it a lot on the show or not, but a lot of people, when they are working with advisors at our firm, they're not just working with one advisor. A lot of times there's multiple advisors involved, and that's for a number of different reasons. But one of them being that if one of those advisors happens to pass away or is incapacitated in any way or is on vacation, even the client still has a primary point of contact beyond just one person. Well, that, what we've talked about so far is, number one, what's your experience? What, it, what license and certifications and credentials do you have? Number two, we've talked about investment philosophy. Is it, it passive or is it active? Just asking the question and then letting somebody tell you 
What do we do? Are we just investment people? Are we just insurance people? Or do we do financial planning? Find out what the philosophy is of the firm. And then, of course, we talked about that idea behind succession. If this person that you're working with doesn't show up, is there somebody behind them to help you continue? You don't want to have to train a new advisor. You want to have someone that maintains and knows and understands what you've been working on. When we come back, I am going to dive in, guys, to the brochure. To knowing that everybody is entitled, if they're working with a fee-based type planner, a fiduciary, to receive a brochure about that advisor. So, Chris, when we come back, I'm going to let you answer that question, and then we'll get into fees and the transparency that every advisor needs to understand. How do you discuss it? What questions do the clients ask? We'll be back with more Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, your host. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Any statements made by our guests are not necessarily the opinion of Securing Financial Services or Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. And uh, we're talking with Jonathan McAllister and Chris Hebert. We're talking about the questions that you should know when you're choosing an advisor. How do you ask these questions? And, you know, some people you get intimidated. Somebody's talking a foreign language to you. They go through their process. One of the biggest things that I think is so important, if I'm on the receiving end and this person's talking to me, and I'm trying to hire him. I want to know a little bit about him. I want to ask him questions. I want him to tell me some things. But I also want to know, does he ask me questions? I mean, is he, is he all about himself or is she all about herself? Are they just talking, talking, talking? Mm. Or are they willing to listen? And that is so critical, guys. We talk about communications. We talk about the whole concept of helping the client feel comfortable. Yeah. And we do have a tendency to talk sometimes in a, in a language that is not always understood. It's shop talk. Yeah. And it, I think it happens in our industry. It happens in the medical industry. It happens in every industry out there. I think the difference with us is that we are dealing with people and emotions and money. Yeah. And that's a really lethal mix. You've got to not dumb it down, but you have to talk to someone like they're a person. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, too. So, Chris? Yeah, I think going, going back to what we talked about earlier with Beth, I mean, although communication skills are very important, uh, communication skills, to, to have real good communication skills, you have to have great listening skills. And listening skills and asking great, engaging questions. Uh, and that goes back to just putting uh, the client's needs in front of our own. It's The meeting's about them. It's not about us, about how great we are. Uh, we love to talk about ourselves, uh, but at the same time, we need to know about the client and what concerns them, what what engages them, and what ultimately motivates them. All right, guys, we are we are trying our best to help clients understand how do they choose an advisor. We started with experience, credentials, license, and things like that. We moved over, and we we really kind of talked about investment philosophy. Ask the question, understand what you're asking. Personalized service, you know, are you going to get some service? Are you what time are you going to do from that? And then is there somebody going to take the place if the advisor doesn't show up? Is there a firm? 
Is there is there just one person doing this, or is there a group of people doing this? You mentioned that, Jonathan, where there was a, a, a massive group of people working with it, sometimes right. even multiple advisors working with a client. And, and that's always important just for that succession planning fact. And, by the way, I, I don't want to work all the time. I might want to go on vacation occasionally. I've been noticing that, too. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's an issue. That, I'm glad you admitted it, too, on the air. Cause so, yeah. uh, you know, can we make sure I get a copy we'll, of this? We'll talk after. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, the brochure. The brochure. So many people, you know, it's easy to try your best to answer questions, but the brochure was something that was basically developed or said by FINRA that said, you must give a client a brochure. Chris, what is a brochure? Yes, sir. So brochure would be the uh, profile, or, or maybe the yeah, best way to describe it would be somewhat of a resume uh, that we pass out to clients uh, whenever we enter into relationships, a fiduciary relationship, if those are investment advisory accounts or if we're doing a, f- a financial plan uh, for that individual. Um, so what that profile is going to show is not only our education, our licenses, uh, but also our outside business activities. Is there any conflicts out there that that we should that our clients should know about? So whether that be a rental property or anything else that maybe um, that advisor is engaging in. Uh, in addition to that, is there any disciplinary uh, action that's been taken towards this advisor? And I think what it does is just create even more clarity about who is this person you're dealing with. You know, sometimes we trust our gut, and, and then we just want to make sure that hey, we're doing our due diligence as well as a as a client. Uh, so that brochure cleans that up. That's a great point. It does clean that up. It does simply say, you know, sometimes we write a we write a resume as you use. We only write the good stuff. Yeah. You know, with this brochure, Fenra controls it. So Fenra says it's not just the good stuff. It's everything about you. It's the tell-all. It's the tell-all. And so many people forget that that's entitled. Now, we give it to every client that goes through a contract purpose with us when we're doing a financial plan. They get it automatically. It's It's the way we do business. And I think it's full disclosure. Fee transparency. What is that? Fee transparency. So we talked about this a little bit ago and how advisors get compensated. And there there being different models for that. And one thing you always want to know and what you should ask your advisor is, how are you compensated? Are, are you compensated via a commission? Are you compensated via maybe an asset management charge like Chris was talking about on an investment advisory account? Or are you compensated just on a flat fee? And it's it, not... You know, one is not better than the other. It's what's better for the client. So sitting down with the client and having them ask you, Jonathan, what do your fees look like? Or Jim, what do your fees look like to work with me and to put together a financial plan or to just help me manage my money? Yeah. You, you want to look at different, a couple of different things. One, is it a flat fee? Is it a tiered system? Is it in your favor? It is, a, is it in the advisor's favor? Yeah. And the key is word here is full disclosure. Right. So, I mean, literally making sure... That if there, you know, is there any other hidden cost that, that I know? And so many times, you know, we would like to think that Fenris cleaned all that up. But again, there's there's ways that that's happened. There's something coming out recently with the Department of Labor with 12B1 fees. Now, we as a firm have historically never accepted a 12B1 fee. We just don't. Right. And unless we unless it's something that happens, we try to make sure that all 12B1 fees go back to the client. And all on a four hundred one k plans, but that's not the norm in a lot with a lot of people. How they do business? No, it's not because it, it's one of those things. People talk about fees a lot. 
twelve B ones are not talked about a lot, so it goes back to that transparency on the advisor side. Guys, you know what? Thank you because we tried our best to cover the issues of how do you choose an advisor. If you've just tuned in and you think, wow, I needed to get all these questions these guys have been asking, go back and just simply go to the iPad store and click on Shoemaker Financial and listen to the iTunes store and search for it and just simply go ahead and listen to this program again. It's been a great time, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having us, Jim. I appreciate it very much. Today's program, Chris Hebert, Beth Hysaw did. We talked about the career and should you be involved in the career. We talked with Jonathan McAllister about questions that you might want to ask an advisor, producer and board operator, Gil Worth, and guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich, and, of course, Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being a part of today's program. And again, we're here every week helping you make the most of Jim your money. Jim Shoemaker, Jonathan McAllister, and Chris Abair are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Beth Heisall is the recruiting specialist at Shoemaker Financial. 